Let's turn to let's turn in your Bible to Acts chapter two. So glad you're tuned in with us tonight. Broadcast. We're uh, ministering on owning a revival culture. We started this Sunday, and we're gonna we're going to take up the revival culture in our lives. It is time. It's time for us to have a revival all the time. There you go. Thank you. So uh, I looked up what culture means, and it's, uh, it's the way of life of groups of people. The way of life of groups of people. And then it had a little addendum. It says the way they do things. So culture. And you know, there's a, if, if you know everything about America, just little old America, we have a uh, northern culture and a southern culture. We're all got American passports, but we don't have the same culture as they do. Uh, we have a, a, a urban culture, city, city boys and uh, country girls, whatever. It's different if you were raised in one or the other. We have a, definitely have a... Uh, a uh, Eastern culture, which would be the Middle East, China, and all those, and a Western culture. We, we do things different. So since we're aware of that, we need to know what our culture is in the church. Do you all believe churches can have a culture? Yes. And churches should have a culture. We should not be uh, blown by every breeze that comes through and just say, well, we'll do what they're doing. No, we have a culture. Doesn't mean we're stuck. Doesn't mean we have traditions of men that are contrary, but it means that we stick with it. We stay with what we know. In Acts chapter uh, 2, verse 1, we read this Sunday, When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Amen. So they had a culture. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians, if you would. Chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. You know this verse. It's a, it's a good verse. It tells us when you want to give up on other people, when you want to separate, and, and I do that sometimes. I'll get uh, aggravated at, uh, with some of my affiliations and what they're doing or not doing, mostly. And then I get this verse 10. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. He's telling the church at Corinth, you boys, get to your culture, stay with your culture, and speak the same thing. What does that mean? And that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. So I'm going to propose to you that uh, we are being mandated by Holy Ghost to have a revival culture at River Church. That we are to be something that is immersed like you are in your family. There's cultures that y'all have about when you eat supper and what, what, what daddy likes for lunch and, and uh, how you pack a picnic lunch. It's just you know. And, uh, but another family that came in, they might be surprised. You say, we're going on a picnic, and they don't know what that means, but your family does. So we, we have a culture in the U.S. versus other nations, and there's conflict. We get sideways with Iraq and Iran and China and Russia because they have a different culture and a different way of, of doing business. Um, I looked up U.S. culture. I looked on the website and I, and I said, what, what is our culture in America? 
because I believe that the church reflects the culture almost always. Listen to these in America. American culture, I picked out 10 of them. Uh, in America, we think big. You go, well, everybody does. No, we think large. We have suburbans. <laughs> and, but you go to Europe, and they, suburbans wouldn't fit down their little roads. And, uh, but in, in America, our culture is large and luxurious versus practical, versus compact, versus concise. Other nations like it. They're, they're happy with it. Live in a little apartment, have little narrow streets, and drive little cars. And we just, we just don't put up with that. Uh, American culture is to eat on the run. Might not know that, but we don't have a culture of sitting down and eating formal meals as other nations do. Supper is a big deal. Uh, number three, going out to eat is an American culture. They don't do that in Italy. They don't do that in France much. But we, we do it because we're so diverse in our nation that we like to go out and eat cultural meals like Mexican food and Italian food and all those things. We like to experiment with ethnic cuisines, and so that's a part of our culture. Um, uh, uh, I wrote down here, it's not uncommon for Americans to eat out several times a week. We may all be guilty in here. Number four, sports are generally loved by Americans. I don't know if the Albanians do that. I don't know if the, if the Spanish do that. But I know in America we love football, baseball, and basketball, and that most people have a favorite or watch after one thing or not. Number five, we're very competitive in America. We have a competition of how to get into college. You know, you got to get your ACT and your SAT. We're very competitive about Roll Tide and War Eagle and all sorts of things all over the nation. Very, it's a part of our culture. And you think, well, everybody does that. No, everybody has eyes that see and ears that hears, but, but we, we are competitive in America. We're competitive in our academics and our vocation. We go in for job interviews and we are competing against the other 10 guys in the room and we're very competitive where they aren't so much in other nations. Number six, political correctness is an American culture. And one reason, and you know, that's we're being called out in our culture right now because we have so many ethnic flavors in our nation, we have to be tolerant of them. Whereas in France, perhaps, most everybody's a French person or an Albanian person or in, you know what I mean. But we, we do not have that. We are a mix-up, a mixing. Uh, this one surprised me, small talk. Small talk, small, small talk is an American culture. It's not unusual for you and me to, to engage a stranger with the weather or how long is this bus going to be or I don't know why. You know, we do that in America. We do small talk. Uh, about things that are non-confrontational, non-controversial. Unless you go to Thanksgiving, and then, you know, everything's on. Hallelujah. Um, in America, we are very independent and self-sufficient. It is, um, being on your own is not only common, it's a mark of the American culture. We, now, we have, right now, we have a lot of adult children moving back, but they did move out as soon as possible. Number nine, um, speaking up is an American culture. We, 
we think we have a right to say it, and we think they should have a right to hear us. Uh, we're, we expect people not to be rude, but we expect everybody to have an opinion, and that's very American. And then uh, this one was uh, accepting, respecting, and defending diversity. We're expected to, and you can see that's just loud and clear in our culture right now. It's very mixed up, very confusing. People are got different agendas, but very tolerant of diversity and versus maybe in in China or in some places in Africa, they might an outsider would stick out more, but not in America. But here's my contention about that. The reason I told you that has nothing to do with spiritual things except to say. I notice in the American culture, the, the church culture, American church culture, is generally a reflection of the American culture. That what we do in the church is pretty much what we do in the world. In other words, we bring it in to a specific building, perhaps, that might have a cross in it. But after that, everybody, we're democratic in a lot of churches. You vote on this and you... You have committees for that, and you get a president and a committee. It's very, very a reflection of our uh, American culture. Would you all agree with that in some measure? That, that it, who people are, they don't change when they come in the door. And you go, well, what's wrong with that? Well, it is wrong, because this is our culture. We're supposed to be the light of the world, the salt of the earth, and we're supposed to go out from this culture and affect that culture. But instead, it seems like, more and more, that culture is affecting the church culture. And it's because the Word has become less relevant and less uh, uh, respected than it is. So, this Word is revival. The Lord wants us to have a full-blown Book of Acts revival before He comes back. And I I personally think he's on the edge. Did anybody listen to Joe Morris today talk about the U? I didn't either, so I just wondered. Well, you know, he's, he's a blow-by-blow, week-by-week uh, reflection of what happened, and we had amazing things happen in our nation concerning peace with Israel, which has got to have spiritual repercussions. It's, it's, it's in the Word somewhere about what happened today. Nobody did that in a closet. But the, the, the Word is, is revival. And the more we stay in the Word or preach all of the Word instead of just portions and parts on Sunday morning, that's all the Word a lot of people hear. So even though there's a lot more in here, they might just hear to get saved. Next week, come back and it's the same message but a different chapter. Get saved or get right with God or do right and don't do wrong and and keep keep your life straight and don't get in trouble, that sort of thing. But they don't ever hear about the other parts of the culture that we're in, which is the word culture and the revival culture. And so it's real important that we realize this so that we'll make the change and not bring America culture into our church, but that we get so salty, so bright, that we take this culture out. And we take healing out to where there's sickness. And we take encouragement out where there's disappointment and discouragement that we change their culture. Our culture stays the same, whether we're French or Spanish or Italian or Americans. Our culture stays the same. We'll speak it in different languages and we'll eat lunch together in different ways. But our, our basis of life is in the word revival. And so we've been subdued by a culture, 
a national culture if we're not doing what the Word says, if we're not in revival, if we're not casting out demons, if we're not laying hands on the sick, if we're not prophesying, we have taken on a, a cultural bias that's the world where that's not done. It's not even accepted. Speaking in tongues, that's not their culture. But it is ours. And there's a conflict or a, a, a rubbing together of between what we do here in church and then after an hour and a half, you go out the door and then you're 23 and a half hours the next day. And then all of the next day and all of the next day in their culture, the American culture. And so we tend to be overwhelmed. So we have to study this at home. We have to ingest this in, in our going in and our coming out. We have to meditate on this day and night. We got to sing to the Lord. We got to we got to keep that or that culture will swamp our boat and it'll put us under. Y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about. We feel it. We understand it is the war. We're not trying to be in war about the devil or even getting saved and staying saved. Our war is to stay relevant according to the culture that really is us, that we've put him on. And that's important. And so a culture is something that's embedded, something that is uh, a conviction, something that is it, it affects our goals it alters our practices, how we do things. People used to cheat on their income tax. They got saved, came into church, and they don't cheat on that much anymore. Whatever. You know, it changed, this changes that. And so uh, it's real important that we, we drink this culture regularly, not just on Sunday morning, not just on Wednesday night. Amen. Because we'll lose the cultural battle and we'll become the world's culture uh, like they do. So uh, we talked about Sunday that culture is a set of rules or a set of laws that are built in. They're not, they're not hard and fast. It's a leaning, but it comes from a conviction. We have a conviction, whether we pull it off or not, that we ought to be the light and we ought to be shining. And for somebody to say, do you, are, are you saved? We, we don't like saved people, and saved people can't work here, or however they say that, that we would deny him. We would accede to that culture and deny our culture. You go, well, that's never going to happen. It's, but there's a variation, there's a gradient of that all the time to conform, to lean back, and not be that light, but to fit into the darkness or the twilight. Don't we all battle with that? Keeping ourselves strong in the Lord when they are so against us in the culture thing. They, they really like their culture. So uh, we, should, we have to have a, com, a constant reinforcing of our church culture, not just that we're Christians, but even that we are contending for revival in, a, in Alabama. We are contending for revival in Tuscaloosa. We call this city on fire. We call, and you go, well, how's that going to happen? It'll happen because we, the leaven, will leaven the whole lump. We will put him on, and once we get into the city, here and there and everywhere, it, it begins to be just like it was for us. We all got born again, almost always, because somebody came into our life. We got spirit-filled because somebody said, you got to have this. We've been healed and introduced to that because somebody said, let me pray for you, and doggone, if it didn't just, like Lynn said, it didn't just change. Once you get bit with that, so to speak, you want more of it. 
because we don't like the American culture, even though we're very comfortable with it and it works and it takes us to a certain level in our daily life, it does not satisfy us inside. It is, there's a yearning, there's a desire, there's a, a, a knowing that that's not who I am. And so the world is a placeholder till we take on a new culture, a culture of revival, a culture of the Lord Jesus. So there are several things that are indicative of this revival culture. And I want to go over them in the weeks ahead and just talk about them. And, and, and we, we, would take, we would drink them in and take them on individually and that individually we would come together and we would overwhelm our church culture so that if anybody came in that was not of that revival culture, they would be overwhelmed by the church culture. They would say, well, this, this church speaks in tongues every Wednesday night. That is our culture. Do we have to? Is it in the Word? Is there anything that says we should? No, but it's an enforcing of the culture. That if you, didn't, if you didn't go into the Spirit all week long, it's an enforcement that says, oh yeah, I, I am one who speaks in tongues. We talk about the supernatural in every service. We're talking about that we're not in that, that ordinary culture, we're in the supernatural culture. And so we expose ourselves and remind ourselves and put a f- fresh coat of the Word on us and talk about the, the boils that... Uh, that Egypt did, that Goshen didn't have, and the darkness and the, the locusts and all those things, we are just reminded how God is not the God of this world, but the God of revival and the supernatural. So we have to do that. We have to have that all the time. So I want to talk tonight, just for a few minutes, a very few minutes. <laughs> oh, where does it go, Lord? By the time I get something introduced, it's... I want to talk about family, the culture of family. Revival has a culture of its own, and one of the main tenets is the culture or the tenet of family. Now, have you talked to anybody? We all love family. Maybe not individually. Maybe you don't... you got a brother-in-law that that's his family technically, but you're, you're not... He's not on any list but your wife's Christmas. And so, but family is what we all adhere to, especially when you come to Thanksgiving and Christmas or a birthday, everybody throws in for family. Exceptions to that, of course. So uh, Psalm 68, 6. Slip over to Psalm 68 because I want you to underline it if you can. Psalm 68, 6. We're talking about family. We're talking about the culture of family because River Church is not an organization. We are not an institution. We do not have an agenda that says when we meet, this is what we do. When we meet the family, you never know what the family's going to do. And more and more, we're moving out of, uh, out of a, a, uh, a, how can I say, a uh, a leader-led family to an embodiment of everyone. Right, tonight we had the Holy Ghost show up. Well, it wasn't it wasn't just me; it was everyone. So w- we want that. Uh, y'all may not know it, but when we had the healing uh, center, 
I never prayed for one single person in all those months, many months. It was all done by the team members. I never prayed for anybody, never laid hands on anybody. And that was purposeful because it shouldn't be, well, I really don't want Linda Lou to pray for me. I want the pastor to pray for me. And that's just not who we are. That's not our culture. And we don't want to enforce that culture that there's, some of us are more spiritual than others. But to reverse that, you have to take somewhat drastic means to change the, the, uh, the baseline in an existing culture to change it, bend it, and turn it around so it'll go another way. It says in Psalm 68, 6, it says, God setteth the solitary in families. He bringeth out those which are bound with change, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. Ah. Uh, I don't know which version this is. I, don't, I didn't write it down. God places the solitary in families and gives the desolate a home in which to dwell. There's a family for everybody. The solitary that says, I'm an orphan. I don't have anybody. I, uh, not, I'm not talking about their family, that, their blood family. I'm talking about they got born again. They're Christians, and there's a family for everybody. Do you all believe that? Well, the word brings it out, says he brings the solitary. Yours may have a different, one version says the lonely, but that's not, that's not accurate. It's the ones that are by themselves. There's a family for everybody. And so if you're not married or your kids are gone or you're whatever, it doesn't matter. There is a family for you and revival culture has family, strong family. In 1 Corinthians 12, 18, turn there. I really want you to mark this one. I heard someone preaching uh, this week that says, uh, <laughs> he was preaching in Australia, and he said, well, you know the axiom, dirty Bible, clean Christian, clean Bible, dirty Christian. <laughs> he said, uh, so just snatch a look at your neighbor, he said, and, and then if, if their Bible's clean, be careful. <laughs> So I'd scribble in my Bible, you know, in the maps or the table of contents, wherever that you don't mind scribbling. I, I, you know, but look what it says in chapter 12 of uh, 1 Corinthians, verse 28, uh, excuse me, verse 18. Yes. Let's read it together, verse 18. But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. He set the members. He's the Father of the family, and he has set the members of the family, uh, the members of his family in subsets or local families. He set them in the body as it hath pleased him. So when you're uh, just saying any church will do, you're mistaken. You're defying that God has an opinion and has a course on it based on them. They need you. And you need them. Only the Lord can do that. But if we can find a mate, if in this crazy world we can uh, be a single person and we can find somebody, how much more can the Lord put us in the right family? Amen. So uh, uh, here's the key right here. God's order, His order is authority based on love. Let me say that again. God's order... How he operates is authority 
based on love. But God's government is family. It is not based on an authority. It is not based on a king or a prince. It's based on family. And that is the family of God. That is the government of God. And the, the government of God, the government of heaven, is relational. Now we know that because the Father, that's how He operates. And He is the pattern for all of us. And if you want to operate in the kingdom without being relational, you're going to be, you're going to be outside the family. Because we are called, it is the order of, it is the culture of heaven to be relational. And when you're in relation like we are, it's called family. Well, that's a word that some churches are comfortable with using, but it's not practiced. It's a very, uh, have you ever been in a church that was very clicky? Very them and them and, you know, it was the world. It was just the world that had come in and whatever they do and had a Bible with them. But it was exactly the world. It was clicky. It was off-putting. It was offensive. It was condescending. It was uh, uh, maybe adorate. Uh, 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 they really respected some people and not others, which is what James talked about. It's the world. But that's not what we're talking about here. That's not what you just put a label on and says we're the family of God. We have to become family. It is not in our culture to be family in the kingdom because we have come from blood families that have hurt us. I hope you have a good family. I hope everybody in here has never had a, uh, a uh, stinker, a black sheep in their family and all, all five siblings were all in love with each other and supported each other and called everybody every night. But if you're anything like everybody else, it wasn't that. And so this has to be learned, and it has to be learned uh, by faith. You've got to put on love because the feelings aren't there. Now, we have to be, you, you know, you've got to call mama mama. It doesn't matter. You've got to call your brother brother. It doesn't matter. But in the kingdom, you don't have to. It's, it's an option. We can come in here, find our particular seat, and everybody in here is sitting in a particular seat. I, you know, before y'all came in, I could have assigned you seats, and you would have fulfilled them, every one of us, especially Barry. He's always back there in that same old seat. <laughs> uh, but so, so we can avoid family, but we won't have a culture of revival. We'll have a culture of some kind. It'll be hearing the word and just feed, feed, feed and, and go through an order. And we enjoy coming to church and we get things and it's, it's good socially, surfacely. But family is different than that. And like I said, we've all been disappointed in our blood family. But we are going to move towards, we're going to put on the family of God. If we want to have revival, we have to. You cannot have revival and not have family. But like I said, it's challenging because we didn't pick anybody in here. But to tell you the truth, I didn't pick anybody in my family either. <laughs> and actually, don't let them get the tape, but I wouldn't pick a bunch of them if they weren't family. They don't care for me, and we'll just, we'll just leave it at that. Or whatever. And you go, but it's family. Mama 
She says, I love all my boys. And so you got to love all her boys. But in church, we don't have to. And it's we don't grow if we don't become family. Used to be, used to be, it wasn't that long ago, Pastor Moss told me about it. He said in the 70s, his church was firebombed. They threw rocks in his resident window. He, uh, he, he was manhandled because he was a, the first mixed-race church in Tuscaloosa, one of the first. And this was 1973. And you know we had a lot of tensions in the South concerning that particular issue. And going to church was just something that you didn't do together. It wasn't something that people said, let's do that. Uh, there was a lot of people that didn't like it, and they made it known, and therefore that people were excluded out of both churches. Uh, I, I have a, a friend that is a pastor of a black church, and I said, hey, I want to come to one of your services. I'm, I want to come and be with you. It wasn't good. We, we were, I thought we were pretty close, but he, he did not like that. Yeah. So we've come a long ways, but culturally, we can no more look at someone's uh, vocation or their gender and then look at race or look at vocation. Uh, we, we have people that have come to this church that do not have professional jobs and do not all the accepted things of a, a majority of the people that we engage in our society and in our incomes and everything, if you were going to say, well, we're mostly this, then that might exclude somebody that was mostly not that, either very wealthy or very needy. And that's one of the tests of family is like, come on in. And I'm telling you, James 5 talks, talks about this, said, you, you bring Mr. Rich Boy up to the front and you tell the, the, the poor guy you get at the back. That is the American church. Unless you get so big that nobody can tell who's who. And then it's not really a culture. We have more opportunity right now in River Church to make a culture of revival with just this many that will so bond and so uh, embrace it that then when anybody else comes in, come on over, sit next to me and go to lunch with me. I'll pick you up next Sunday. I see that that's something that... Uh, is, is makes people a little nervous to have that. Well, like who who might come in and surely they'll ask him out and surely they'll go pick him up. I, I don't, I'm busy. And so we miss the kingdom because we don't have that. Uh, the government of heaven is God, the father, God, the son and God, the Holy Spirit. Three in one. Now, that's the family. They can't tell the difference. Matter of fact, their loyalty is so perfect to each other. Their honor for each other is so perfect. Their understanding of the purpose of each one of them is so perfect. They're so secure in their identity of each other that you can glance at any one of the three and just see the one. Would you agree with me? We don't know if, 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 it's, if it's God, Holy Spirit that moved in the service or God, the Father that moved in the spirit uh, in the service. We just like God came. And yet you can look in the Word and see which one it was, but you can't tell from where we are. So it's three in one and one in three, and the relationship is defined by absolute perfection. They all yield to each other. Well, that's what we got to do at River Church. We're not going to say, well, they're a teacher, 
And uh, they, they go to children, and this is nursery people over here because they can't do anything else. We're going to put them in the nursery, or we're going to make them an usher because they can't do anything else. We got we to gotta dissolve everybody, and I got to go to the nursery. What did I just say? <laughs> but that it would be, anybody could get up here and take this pulpit. Anybody in here could take this pulpit, and we'd all say, that was good. Now, I do have my job. I have a gifting, a calling, and so it's, it's, uh, it moves that way. But just like you, you have a gifting and calling, and we got to move that way, and we got to go into family. Um, I like this scripture. It's in Romans chapter 8. Let me just read it to you, verse 29. For God knew his people in advance, listen, and he chose them to become like his son. He chose us to become like his son. Look, look, so that his son would become the firstborn among what? Many brethren. So if Jesus is in the family, if he's the older brother or the firstborn, the first among equals, we certainly need to put some walls down and, and uh, put some... And you, you know, you, you, even in the poorest church in America, even in the most backwoods, back there in the holler, you know, nobody even knows where they are. They can be clicky. They can be uh, uppity. They can be hoity-toity. They can, it, people are the same. It's not really based on reality. It's based on human nature. And that has to be crucified and brought under the, the authority of the Word of God. This says, this is who we are, and we will act like and believe for who we are. So we ought to be praying for one another here at River Church. We ought to be saying, bless God, God put me on your heart. And I just stayed in the closet till he released me. We ought to be taken. Now, this would be a little tricky, and I don't want to get, I don't want to meddle. But every once in a while, you ought to call somebody and just say, hey, let's go drink some coffee. You go, what would that do? I don't know, but it's what family does. You ought to write a note. I'm a, a prolific note writer. Everyone in here has got a note from me. Uh, the way that I practice my faith in the family arena is that I am big into birthdays. So if you have a birthday at River Church, I, but actually I have 90 people on my birthday list. Now that'll keep you hopping. That's a lot of ice cream, by the way. <laughs> But I write a card, and I, I, I interface with every person that I write to, and I believe God for a prophetic word to speak into their life. It may just seem like I just wrote something out, but I, I, and on my Christmas cards, I labor over my Christmas cards. God, I need a word for Shanita, or I need a word for Pamela, because it's a place where I can, I can, I can be family. And so I do that. You ought to find something to do that brings a culture of revival to all of us by engaging family. Now, we're losing family in our society right now. Family is uh, really under a lot of siege, and people are so American culture independent and uh, self-serving, and we're in a real um, uh, entitlement society right now. It's very difficult. It's challenging for all of us to back up from that and say, that's not me. I'm a Christian. I'm in the family of God. Therefore, I will buck that system. I will run against that system. And I'm just going to call Garland and say, hey, let's go eat a hot dog. He goes, I don't eat hot dogs. Well, you are today. <laughs> Get in faith. We're going to eat a hot dog. <laughs> 
I've got so much more here, but I will tell you this. Every one of us has been burned by somebody in our family. I've been burned. You've been burned. They didn't do right. They didn't act right. They didn't reciprocate for the honor that we gave them, for the help we gave them. As a matter of fact, just a little bit down the road, they, they called us out. They gossiped about us. They told somebody he just did it because of this. And we've all been burned by family. In the body of Christ, we've all been burned by some deacon or some pastor or some... We've all been burned. We've all said, I'm not going to church or just all bunch of whatever was done to you. But we know that's not true. That's not dealing honestly. And we also know that uh, in our families, we just have to look past it because they are family. We'll gnaw on them and we'll talk about them and we'll, you know, we'll just... <laughs> but we get over it because you can't not get over it. You cannot talk to them forever. But you want to because they're family. Well, there's a dynamic that we got to get past protecting ourselves from the pain of fathers and mothers in the faith. You need to find your father and your mother in the faith. I would assume just now this is just assuming that for many, I would be at least one of the fathers because I've just been in your life so long. Been here 40. I've been in the kingdom 40 years, but I've been in Tuscaloosa since 19. 97 in Tuscaloosa. So I've been here a while. And so I've been with some of y'all, like Barry Paul. I've been with him since his mama was taking him out to change his diaper when I came here. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But, but, but there's others. There's others in the, in, the, in the family that you ought to embrace. And you cannot be a father. I'd ask you, are you a father in the faith? And many of you'd say yes. Are you a mother in the faith? You would say, yes, I told you about my spiritual fathers. One of them was Charles Capps. One of them was uh, uh, Kenneth Hagan. One of them, uh, I never did really get with Kenneth Copeland, uh, he, although I listened to a gazillion of his tapes, a gazillion. And then uh, Pastor Buzzy, then uh, uh, Dr. Cole, people that I didn't even, I didn't meet Dr. Cole until the year before he departed. And he was over here at the Wesleyan Church. And I went over there and I, I didn't knock down too many people to get to him. But it, there, was, there was casualties there. There was collateral. <laughs> I wanted to meet this man because he had done so much for me. And of course, he didn't have any idea about me, uh, who I was. But I was connected to him, whether he ever knew me or not. But we know the key, the way, the avenue for being a father in the faith or a mother in the faith, it's here. You have to be a son. You have to be a daughter. You go, well, I want to go straight from nobody to being a father. It's impossible. You cannot. And the scripture for that is uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And we'll quit with this. Uh, verse 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're right there in 1 Corinthians. We'll just slip over there. Because I hope you put a little mark around this. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15. Let's read it together, verse 15. For though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Verse 16. Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers or imitators of me. And so, uh, if, if, if you go into the history 
of uh, Paul, you know that he was under the teacher Gaius. And uh, he, he, he sat for many years he, as, as a Hebrew. He was very schooled in the law and all those things. But he was a tremendous father in the faith. And he said here, you got 10,000 instructors. Now, we need instructors, and we all ought to be instructors. But there's a, there's a relationship that comes from someone that's a son and a father or a daughter and a mother or b any combination of that where we put on family. Where we don't just say, well, that's an instructor. Okay, I come to his classes, I come to his stuff, I listen to him on YouTube or whatever, but that we relate to them. I send offerings to my fathers in the faith. I'm not saying you should, I'm, and I'm certainly not saying send it to me. I'm not. I'm, I'm pastor. That's different. But uh, I, I do. I send offerings. I send notes. I send thanks and everything. It's not for them. They don't even know who I am, some of them, if all of them. But I send them because it's for me. I am becoming a good son, whether they even know who I am or not, so that I will be qualified someday, if so be, to be a father in the faith. And every single person in here, I'm talking about every one of us, bar none, are called to be fathers and mothers in the faith. You can't have this gospel, this level of the gospel, taught to you for these many years and not put on sonship and not put on a mentorship. Not just instructor where you know some things. I actually have known some people that could quote vast chapters of the Bible in a continuum, but they didn't have a clue about people. So, it's a heart connection. It's non-competitive. Amen. My last verse, James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Then what does it say? Resist the devil and what? He will flee from you. So, to the level that we submit to God and God's people is the same exact level that we can resist the devil. Some people have no power against the devil because they're unwilling through pride or ignorance or whatever to submit to somebody else. And we're not just submitting husbands, uh, wives to husbands. That is, that is way misguided, and I hope to teach on that sometime, not for y'all, but for, for broadcast, to teach about how that works. It's just been crazy what they've made the Scripture say that's not, not the Word at all. Um, but we, we're called to submit to one another. Men are called to submit to women. Absolutely. Can you imagine what the kingdom would be like if we didn't have women able to teach? Able to teach? Can you imagine if women were saying, you're not supposed to talk in church? Can you imagine? You can't imagine. We, we would be infantile. We would be so stunted and dwarfed. Thank God we're not under that devil's doctrine. It means something else. I'm not saying it's not in the Bible. I'm not saying that Scripture's a devil's doctrine. I'm saying the way they've interpreted and applied it absolutely has been made into one. So, yay. So, yay. So, in the name of Jesus, we're just going to pray for a second. Uh, I'm going to ask you, I have some confessions before we pray. Uh, let's say this. I have dynamic relationships... With my spiritual family. I am a spiritual son finding my spiritual fathers 
and mothers. I am participating in a family. And I'm a glory-carrying son or daughter of my Heavenly Father. And the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost is the pattern for this. It's not like, well, we're just going to be more cozy and more social and more interactive. And we're going to kind of try to mimic the blood family and be... This is in the Word. Actually, this is more relevant than our blood family, if you get it. Now, the highest is when your blood family is also your spiritual family. Now, that's a, that's a tomato sandwich, I can tell you. That is, that's good stuff. But we're called each other. Amen. So thank you for tuning in today. We appreciate y'all. We'll be here Sunday, and we'll be talking about the revival culture. Well, if you're giving tonight...